Hey everybody, it's the waitingfornextyear.com podcast, uh, soon to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. A uh, little spoiler alert there. Um, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks for joining us. We are talking about sports. We, Before we went live, we were talking about how um, just COVID worn out we are. So um, I know my, my last episode was about vaccines, which... I had a really good time doing. I thought it was informative, but we're not going to uh, we're not going to go COVID crazy here. Look, how's it going, look, Andrew? You talked, to, you talked to an expert last time. Now it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> how do how do you feel about COVID? Non medical. Listen person? here. <laughs> I've read some articles. At least two. Uh, <laughs> and I can so make funny. my own decisions, Craig. I can decide for myself. Well, and you know what? And that's a, actually kind of an interesting place to start. Like, how much different do you feel talking about sports, talking about like when we first started blogging about sports and, and you guys started waiting for next year? I came shortly after it, it began. It's been over 10 years now. And man, was I strong in my opinions when we first started and the entire landscape has changed. And I, I don't feel the same way. Like I, I barely ever feel as strongly as I used to feel on a daily basis. So it's funny you say that. Cause like, I think you have to feel very strong in your opinions in order to start writing, you know, and putting it out there in the public. And I think that was like, I know for me, that was why I started doing it was I was just like, you know what? Like at the time I didn't like what we were getting from the sports sections in newspapers and sports websites. And you gotta remember like blogs were not that common back then. There was no Twitter. Like you were getting your sports news from ESPN um, and your, and the sport like web uh, newspapers, like even if it was a website, a lot of times it was like the newspapers and like we had Brian Windhorse who was awesome at the time, but like, I felt like in Cleveland, we weren't getting very good coverage. I was like, you know what? Like, I, I feel like I've got decent opinions. I'm going to try it, you know? And so, so you start out and like, you feel very like set in your ways and stuff like that. And what's funny is what happens to you is like, as you start writing and like really having your name put out there, like next to things, like I think that for sure, like sort of begins to soften you a little bit. Um, but also I just think it's a matter of experience. Like the more you see different things as you do this, the more you realize like it's okay to have opinions, but you realize like, especially in sports, like literally anything can happen. And it doesn't like, I know everybody likes to, you know, freezing cold takes and likes to go back and like, oh, you were wrong about that. Well, maybe, but like there was sound logic and why I had the opinion that I had, like it made sense at the time. It just didn't play out that way. You learn to like, you got to kind of learn that, like, just because you have an opinion, it doesn't have anything to do with what's right or wrong or anything like that. It's just, you know, sports are crazy and you, you just try to have fun with it. It's funny. I was trying to make that point on Twitter during the Browns game at some point, just because I said that, and we've talked about this. I think you and I have talked about Joe Schobert. It, there is logic to letting Joe Schobert go and sign a big deal with some other team. 
-hmm. that's logical. What's not logical is not adequately replacing him and having a, a very inexperienced and young linebacking core that is thin and, and can't make the plays that you need to play to stop the run in the NFL. So both things are true. Like I'm not saying, yeah. I'm not saying you, you got to spend 10 million a year on Joe Schobert. I'm just saying, I'd rather spend 10 million a year on Schobert than deal with the, the, some of the linebacking core that we have right now. Yeah. And I, and I also, uh, especially appreciate, I'm sure there are people who, you know, when Joe Schobert missed a tackle on he Sunday, you know, sucks. Oh, see, that's why we didn't sign him. You know, you get, you get, you gotta love that. So, well, um, I'm so happy that Andrew Sandejo made a couple plays because now, <laughs> Now all the suckitude that he's had all year long don't doesn't matter. It doesn't count. That's right. He made he, a couple he made good a plays. Play. He, made, he made a play. Two plays. He had two plays. I mean, what can what, what can you say about the guy? In right. One game. Two plays two in plays. one game. We we just like turned into Friday fumble there for a second. I know, but it it also uh, you know it it also happens to Baker Mayfield. You know, he had he had yeah. uh, an up and down game. He made some nice throws. He missed two really big ones. Um, one of the things that I was I was pointing out um, to to a friend of mine today, though, you know, the one giant miss that he had to Rashard Higgins in the end zone, that's not a physical error. When after the game, he explained it really well. And and by the way, we should talk about post game Baker. It's the post game Baker so this year good. is so much better than he has been. Um, but he was saying. You know, he 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 read the play wrong at the line of scrimmage and he was still focused on a different option. And if he'd done it right the first time, his if his head had had migrated to the next option, he wouldn't have been scrambling to throw it so late and so hard and everything else. So that is more a mental error than a physical one. And I know it's not it's not cool to make excuses for Baker Mayfield because he was the number one overall pick, but those are the kinds of things that can be corrected with experience and time in an offense and having a coach for more than one year and having an off season. Yeah. I, uh, I, I certainly, I would prefer his issues. I think at this point to be mental versus physical, because, uh, you know, it's easier to look at the mental side of, you know, the game for him and what he's been through. And I don't need to rehash it. Like everybody knows how many coaches and coordinators and blah, blah, blah. Like, like I've said like a million times, if you want an excuse for, for Baker, like they're there, like, and I don't, maybe I shouldn't even call them excuses. Maybe they're reasons, you know, but like, I still believe like his arm talent is still there. Like the, the guy, the accurate quarterback that, um, you know, that came in, especially in his rookie year and just let it fly without, you know, much hesitation. And, you know, that, that arm talent is still there. Uh the thing is, is like when people talk about like, well, is Baker not the guy? And I'm, you know, I've certainly cooled in like on how I feel about that. But my thing with that is like, it doesn't make any sense. You're not going to just get rid of the guy right now. Like you've got to give him time in this offense. Like give him, take away those, whatever you want to call them, excuses or reasons. Let's get rid of those. Let's give him some stability. Let's give him an off season. Let's give him multiple years in the same offense and then see if he develops in that. And if he does get more comfortable and if he does cut down on those mistakes and, you know, makes is more consistent in making those kind of throws, then great. We know we've got our guy. And, you know, if not, then we can figure out what to do. But like, I, I, I've seen a 
few people like indicate that the Browns should just cut ties with Baker now because he's not the guy. And it's like, even if Baker's not the guy, he's still a better quarterback than anything the Browns have had since Tim Couch, bar none. And that, so like at, at the worst case scenario, it's still better than the complete shit show that we've been putting out there. So I, I don't understand any thought of like, oh, if he's not the guy, let's get rid of him right now. Browns fans not the guy. have been conditioned to think that amputation is the way to heal yeah. a broken limb. Yeah, that's perfectly said. That's we do it with our coaches. We do it with executives. Like there were, this was my frustration with with John Dorsey. Not to say that he's perfect, or or John Dorsey was so much better than fill in the blank GM or executive that we'd had going back to, um, you know, Ray Farmer, going back to George Kokinas, who didn't even have the job really. Like we'd seen, even Mike Holmgren, who it was probably a logical experiment to try and bring in Mike Holmgren. It did not work. It didn't work. Um, And so sure. Dorsey had flaws. He was not perfect, but this idea that he just had to be chopped out, we couldn't possibly win because he made the mistake of hiring Freddie kitchens. Like, you know, you've at some point you have to let people learn from their mistakes and and become the best version of themselves. You're either going to create a situation for them to flourish or, or most people to flourish, or you're going to keep chopping people out and not address the real issue. Yeah. And I think like figuring out stability is a learning process for everybody. It's a, it's obviously been a learning process for, um, uh, for the entire, like for the organization, you know, I'm talking the Haslam's obviously, um, certainly you know the players um you know and the fans like even the fans so i think you're right i think there's just we've we have such an outside view of the way a normal franchise operates in the nfl that it's like jarring to us to understand that like it's okay to let let baker have a couple years to try to figure it out and it's it's okay to like the browns can draft some quarterbacks that they kind of like if they want to like put some pressure on him and see if there's a guy that they feel pretty strong about. Like there's nothing wrong with that, but you can do both things. Like you don't have to just say, Oh, Baker's not the guy we need to get him out of there. Like I just, I completely reject that. And I've, I've been seeing more and more of that um, sort of sneak up and uh, it's just, you gotta love Browns fans. Like the Browns are eight and three and we're still finding ways to be mad at this team every week and frustrated and, you know, angry. And it's like, Let's just relax and enjoy this ride. Like the Browns are eight and three. It's a good football team. Like it's just, I don't know. Like I'm, I, I'm just really been struggling a lot with that whole like hyper game by game analysis of in who we have to get rid of and stuff like that. Like, again, I, yes, for the Browns. Except Sendejo. Yeah. Except Sendejo. But no, the Browns, but the Browns like, we're used to thinking of the off season in November and December. Like that's when we start thinking about like when we're going to make changes and stuff like that, but we don't have to do that this year. Like let's, let's worry instead about how we're going to match up next week, how we're going to get into the playoffs and, you know, can we do enough on defense to actually win a playoff game? Like those are way more interesting questions to me than anything about, you know, whether or not Baker is the guy like, well, That'll come with time. 
it's almost like people are frustrated that they can't just go back to the same old conversations that we've been having with the same old problems over and over and over again. And, and I get that with the same old Browns too. There are a lot of people that were, were concerned that if the Browns somehow managed to get screwed by the refs and lose a game in Jacksonville on Sunday, that our, it's all rolls downhill after that. No, no mention of the fact that uh, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, Baker, maybe like these guys are not the same crew. Jarvis Landry, is, is there a more important player acquisition, uh, veteran player acquisition in the history of modern Browns football than Jarvis Landry? I really can't think of who you could even possibly consider. Because um, he's not the same old Browns. No, like, I think how much more evidence do you need? I, and I think he's made that his explicit goal from day one. Since the moment he stepped in here, he was going to change the culture. And he's he's talked about it. I mean, obviously, most famously, the hard knocks thing, which, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt. Some people think, you know, he just did it because he knew the cameras were on, whatever. But, but Corey Coleman was here when he first yeah, got here. Yeah, I mean. And he's a guy who has just led by example time and time and time again. He's never complained about anything. Um, He's been the absolute professional. He's everything you would want in a guy. And he performs on the football field as well. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got, you've got these, you've got good players and like the Browns have had opportunities to slide into the same old Browns. And I go back to that, the game against Washington football team, uh, that where the Browns the Browns had the, the halftime lead and then they gave gave the lead back to Washington to start the second half. Same old Browns, they lose that game. You know the Cowboys game. You know they come storming back. You know same old Browns, they lose that game. And you, I I look at when the Browns lost to the Raiders. Same old Browns. That season begins rolling downhill. Instead, uh, you know they just picked themselves back up and won a couple games in a row and like this Browns team is resilient and I, I, I love watching this team. Like they frustrate me at times. Sure. Like there's times when it's ugly and you, it, it, things don't look great and the defense can be maddening, you know, but like a Browns team that just keeps making the plays when they have to getting unbelievable heroic performances from their absolute best players. I mean, Miles Garrett has, saved so many games. Denzel Ward has made huge plays. Nick Chubb is just an absolute monster. Um, MVP. Absolutely. Kareem Hunt has made uh, some huge plays for us when we need them. Yeah, and Jarvis came up massive yesterday when the Browns needed him. And there's been a couple other times this season where there's been games where things have been going bad and they just needed Jarvis to make a play. He's done it. And so... And you know what else is fun? It's cute to to complain about the refs after the Browns actually won the game. It's not it's not so much fun to complain about the refs if the Browns come out on the losing end. The Browns won a game against a bad football team without four or five of their best player players after losing one of the best wide receivers in the game by sticking to their game plan, surviving mistakes by their first year head coach. I mean him going for it on fourth down yeah. instead of instead of going up by 11 or potentially going up by 11 with a field goal his, his continued use of the empty sets drives me bananas but but for every one of those things there are three times where he commits to the run and he won't give up on the run that 
that had us going crazy when Hugh Jackson was trying to coach Deshaun Kaiser. And like yeah. Deshaun Kaiser must have thrown 70 passes in a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, I really felt like this, this last game, this Jacksonville game was probably the first time I felt since the opening Baltimore game that the game plan really kind of got away from Stefanski in, at, at times. Um, he made a lot of decisions that I thought were curious and, um, you know, I, and, and so, but it's like, yeah, you know, he's, he's a first year head coach. Like he's, he's figuring these things out, but I still feel overall he's had this team buy in from day one. I mean, I don't want to just go for the like low hanging fruit and making these points, but like, I just think it's so important to remember, like he took over a first time head coach and wasn't allowed to meet with his other coaches. He had no real training camp um or no preseason i should say uh it took forever for him to be able to ever even like really directly talk to his players um you couldn't ask for a, a harder situation for a first year head coach to to walk into and i just feel like he's done a great job like never complained about it um he instead has said you know this looked at this covid thing as a an opportunity for the browns really that if we do the right things and um, try to take care of ourselves that, you know, there's going to be teams that really mess themselves up with this and we can try and stay out of that. And I think the Browns have done a pretty good job, not perfect, but pretty good job of doing the right things so far. Knock on wood. Like, well, and one of the, one of the interesting things is, you know, Miles Garrett test positive and, and the Browns did have kind of a, a mini outbreak. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened in Baltimore was a huge spread event in the facility like a huge mistake um and i think what we've learned and uh, yeah we're talking COVID a little bit but i think what we've learned from COVID is that it you can you can have them you can make a mistake by actually making a mistake and it can kind of happen to you accidentally like it's not usually it'd be nice if only people who acted improperly caught it sure um sure but but when you've got community spread around the country, the way we have right now, it can kind of happen to anybody. Um, it, you can't necessarily say that every single person who caught it was being, um, being, uh, irresponsible. Yeah. And, but, and I think that's where you just look at it as sort of like playing the odds though. You know, you put yeah. yourself in the best situation, you know, you try and take care of, um, as many scenarios or outcomes that you can imagine. And that's where I go back to even like watching some of the early, like building the Browns stuff where they showed, you know, the, the sort of levels that they were thinking in, in terms of how to keep everybody safe and, and how to limit exposure that would just wreck the entire team. And they've, they've been very conscious about that and trying to avoid that. And yeah, they, absolutely tomorrow we could find out it's rampant the browns all have it their game gets postponed blah 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 and it wouldn't necessarily mean they changed anything and did anything different than than what they've been doing it could just be that this disease this virus just got its way in there and spread around but i the point is is you just got to do like try and take care of you know the the weakest links if you will uh as best as you can and you know try and play those odds in keep them in your favor. And that's 
And that's what I feel like the Browns have done. Now, obviously, I'm not there. I don't see everything that goes on. You know, I so I can't speak, say that I know for sure the way they interact in the locker room or whatever. But just from the things I've seen that they've talked about and just, you know, even seeing like even seeing the players, you know, some of the players even wearing the masks when doing the Zoom conferences. And I, I just feel like there's been a message with the Browns that, you know, they they have been taking it very seriously. And I think that's a reflection of what Kevin Stefanski has taught them from day one and what he's preached to them about how, you know, you can go home and you can complain about it all you want and say how much you hate wearing the mask. But the second you step on our grounds, you're going to stop complaining. You're going to do what's expected of you. And we're, you know, we're going to try and be safe. That's That was that's one of my favorite things. And, and you and I have talked about it before, but it's worth repeating you know, that, that mentality of go ahead and get your complaints out. But the minute you walk through that door, it's time for business. It's time, it's yeah. time to get to work. It doesn't matter um, if you don't like it, you know? Yeah. I, nobody, no, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, and I know it's a little self-helpy, but you know, Gary Vaynerchuk is like, you know, nobody compare. He always says, nobody compares about, nobody cares about your complaints other than you and your other loser friends. <laughs> Yeah, and it's, <laughs> and it's so a little true, bit though. blunt, but it's so true. It's not going to help you when you face uh, Derrick Henry and the Titans. Yep. It's not. It's not going to make you any more prepared to play down four or five really key players in Jacksonville. No, yeah, and you know, and and it's and yeah, and I mean that applies to so much. Like you know, that's obviously it's the whole like basis in football of the next man up mentality, you know, in, uh, injuries happen to everybody and you have to overcome it. And, you know, if you succumb to just complaining and saying, woe is me, you're not helping yourself. That's every minute you say, woe is me. Why is this happening to us is a minute that you're not preparing for your, you know, your next opponent. And that's the same thing with COVID. I feel like what the Browns has been every minute that you're complaining about it is a minute, you know, that you're not focused on what we're here to do. And that's, that's to try to win. And I think it's just been cool to see the Browns. I, I don't know if culture is the word, but just their men that you can, there's just a difference in the professionalism and mindset that you see from this team. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think it's a testament. Yes. To Stefanski, but also to a lot, like you mentioned, like a lot of these veterans who, um, you know, the Browns have a lot of no nonsense players. They, you know, even a guy like Nick Chubb, I don't know that, I don't know how much of a leader he is, quote unquote, but like, that's a guy that's not going to complain about anything. You're not going to hear him complain about anything. And I, when you see like the, the impact and the way he's sort of rubbed off on Kareem Hunt, like it's been fun to watch that, that bond between those two guys and see them sort of take on a little bit of aspects of each other's personalities. You know, you hear people talk about how Kareem Hunt brings out a little bit more personality in Nick Chubb and that's great. But also I think Nick Chubb has instilled a little bit more professionalism in Kareem Hunt. And, and I, you just see all of this happening on the Browns and it's just refreshing. Like they just look like a competent NFL team. And I'm not, I'm not sitting here to tell you that the Browns are going to win playoff games. I'm not here to tell you that the Browns are a top tier NFL team. They're not, they've got work to do. They, you know, in a lot of positions, they, they need to add a lot of depth and they need to add talent, but the Browns are different. And I, I just don't know how you watch this season and how your people are trying to have the same conversations and the same complaints about a franchise that is 
completely changed in the way it conducts itself. And no, I, no, no, no. I, we're we're observant, not delusional. I mean, we yeah. we know that that the Browns are four or five point underdogs against Tennessee, and they could lose by three touchdowns, and it wouldn't shock anybody. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we're I, but even if they do, I have more confidence than I've ever had in my entire life as a Browns fan that they're going to take it on the chin. They're going to do what they can to move on and come back better than they were that week, the next week, or, or not let it define their season. And, and sure, maybe it, even in a situation where it goes downhill and they lose two, three games in a row, I don't get the sense that the stuff that they've built getting to eight and three is, is going to go by the wayside. Yeah, no, and I think that's because I think that that's a big thing. It's you know, so even if even if the only games they win from here on out are the two New York games, even if the if those are, or even if even if they only win one of those two New York games and they still finish the year at nine and seven, they'll be disappointed that they didn't finish better. But I think there will be a huge sense of I don't know if accomplishment is the right word, but and not, and not even satisfaction, but just this idea that they've laid the groundwork for something. And I think there'll be an eagerness to uh, come back next year and build on this even more. And so that that's what I just see all of this as. This year, this year has been complete gravy for me. I keep using that word a lot lately and talking to people, but it is. It's like, I, I had such low expectations for this team coming in. Like I thought with, you know, particularly with them not having much of a training camp, not really having time to install the offense the way they wanted to. I And plus, just in general, with some of the talent that I wasn't sure about and I was still last year was still so fresh in my mind, I really thought this was like going to be like a five- or six-win team. And so uh, all of this is, is just, for me, setting up what is going to come next because I think it's pretty clear the Browns went into the season with the idea that, you know, I, we're not really going to address the defense. We're instead going to give Baker the tools that we can try to figure out what we have in Baker. Um, and I think that now in this offseason, they can go hard on that defense. I think you will see a radically different looking defense next year. And so I do. I just I just feel like things are moving in the right direction. And it's it's nothing but fun for me. All right, so let's talk about something where things are not going in the right direction. Let's talk about your Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. Um, you you are one of the biggest uh, defenders and fans of Tristan Thompson. So I'm just going to let you – I'm going to give you the floor and let you start, um, obviously. Sure. You know, how, how, how did that make you feel? Uh, and then why do you think you're such a giant Tristan Thompson defender? Yeah, so uh, the thing with the funny thing about Tristan is for his first couple of years in the league, I was not a fan. I really I was really confounded by you know, certainly his offensive skill set. It was very raw and uh I just felt like he wasn't really developing that well on that end of the floor. Um and you know, for better or for worse, you know, when you're the number four overall pick in the draft, like I really expected a qu- quicker impact out of him, I think. 
And so I, for the first couple of years, I was actually pretty hard on him. I felt like I was harder on him than most Cavs fans were. Um, but the thing, uh, the thing about Tristan is that like over time he became really such a fundamental part of what, what the Cavs tried to do. Um, certainly with his, uh, certainly with his offensive rebounding, I mean, his offensive rebounding was out of this world. Um, and, 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 you know, in, in his defense and a team that traditionally has never played a lot of defense, he's tended to be that sort of last line of, uh, defense for the Cavs. And he sort of just took on this role of that. He was just going to be the, this sort of dependable rock. You, you weren't going to have these big highs with him or the, or necessarily these big lows. Like he was just going to be this dependable guy that was always there. And, you know, he mentioned it in his Instagram uh, post today, his farewell post, you know, talking about like sort of that blue co- blue collar Cleveland mentality and that, you know, he just really embraced that role and it, it became like the perfect fit for the identity of, you know, of Cleveland. And, and again, and, you know, he, he was a part of the championship team and he was, he was one of the starters on that, on the team that won an NBA championship. And so, you know, it's, he spent a lot of years uh, and he saw a lot of different phases of the Cavs. You know, he was, he was there with uh, Byron Scott, you know, in those years he was there uh, for the Mike Brown year. He, God, the, the re- Byron the Scott year. year. Yeah. And uh, you know, he, so he saw years? that. How many years was Byron, Byron Scott? Two years with that group or was he even three? It might've even been three. I think he might've been gotten three years. And then we had the one year of Mike Brown. Uh, when he came back, uh, which when Dan Gilbert said he was wrong to have fired him, and then he fired him after a year again, uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know. So he was there through all of that. Then comes the LeBron. LeBron comes back, and you know he sort of and really like so that was really little, the change for him. Little sidebar there. So when when uh, when the Cavs rehired Mike Brown. Um, that was when I was still doing the, I was doing the scene podcast in addition to the waiting for next year podcast. And so they, they, uh, they hooked me up with, with Windhurst who was like watching, I think some scrimmages in the Bahamas or something that that NBA (laughs) reporter life is pretty sweet, but I I just remember talking to him as somebody who, who knew, knows the calves and and knows Dan Gilbert. And he, he, he was just borderline baffled that any franchise would ever go back to that well go back to a well and and welcome a coach back it's like one maybe one of the the favorite podcasts i've ever done unfortunately <laughs> uh, somebody else's banner but uh, yeah it you have to say it three times just to realize how crazy it is and how much money yeah. they paid mike brown to not work What's what's really funny about that too is like how fortunate they were. Probably that, like LeBron wiped out that memory. Like it's so easy to forget that the year before LeBron was here, that Mike Brown was the coach again of the Cavs. You know, so some of that stuff is pretty funny. And then he, you know, and he even like the David Blatt situation. Like the Cavs were uh, really cycling through the coaches there for a while. Very Browns esque. Um, but you know, but I think once LeBron came, uh, Tristan really, um, really soaked up a lot of 
what LeBron was selling. I think he was quicker to adapt to LeBron's mentality, quicker than Kyrie was. Um, and I think, you know, he really took, took it a lot more seriously at that moment and really transformed himself into the, a guy that LeBron was comfortable with, you know, playing all those years. And I think that, you know, I think all that was important. And then, you know, certainly when LeBron leaves, um, but, but Tristan don't, was still- don't you think it just fit Tristan's style? The, the work hard mentality, the grinder, yeah. you know, th- that's not Kyrie say what you want about Kyrie. And, and I think you and I are nicer to him than, than a lot of Cavs fans who are bitter about the way it all went down. And, and I can get myself into a bitter mode too, if I really try hard. Well, but, I'm, oh, I'm very bitter about it, but I was, but yeah, but the, but the way the, the, those two, Kyrie and Tristan were never going to get along as well as LeBron and Tristan, just based on who they are, what kind of, what kind of guys they are. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Like there's no doubt about like Kyrie wouldn't be the guy that he was and the guy that he is. If he didn't have that mentality that he wasn't, he didn't need to learn from LeBron, right? Like he was carving his own path. And, um, and it, I do think like over time, like there's definitely thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what happened between those two LeBron and Kyrie exactly and wh- where their relationship stands. But, um, but I do think, you know, Kyrie did take some things away from LeBron, um, it, you know, in the end. Um, and, and certainly like, I mean, obviously they coexisted well enough to win a championship, but I think you're absolutely right. Like it definitely, it, for Tristan, it made a lot more sense for him to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to just fit into what, what's going on here. Um, but you know, but that's, but that's part of what I appreciated about Tristan. And, and I, and I just, you know, even when LeBron left and, you know, things changed really fast and the Cavs really turned into a disaster. Um, it was just always nice having uh, Tristan still be around and, be a calming voice um, in in that locker room. Uh, he he, you know, he was proud to have that leadership mantle, and he talked often about, you know, him and Kevin Love trying to still, you know, keep whatever they could of you know that championship culture. Like, yes, the performance on the court was not championship caliber anymore, but it doesn't mean the preparation behind the scenes wasn't there and the work and what, what, what that, what that all entails. And it was, it was good to have that kind of voice in the locker room and like, and so I'm sad to see it go, you know, not, I mean, we're left with Kevin Love now. That's, that's all that's left of that. I mean, obviously Delhi is back you know, with the team, uh, but you know, really from the core, players that won that championship you know it's kevin love is the last man standing and that's that's hard to believe and it's it's just bittersweet for me um i uh you know i wish wish tristan nothing but the best but um i just wish he wouldn't have gone to boston man see boston doesn't bother me right now because the Cavs don't matter i mean no. i i'll never like boston um, but they don't have a chance either even with tristan they can't win a championship so i'm I, it's it's, it's kind of whatever you know, when, yeah. when Kyrie went to Boston, um, I was annoyed Kyrie left and, and I, th- I thought the trade was bad, but you know, the yeah. trade had a chance to be much better than it turned out. Um, yeah. but yeah. You know, all, uh, did you want, did you want Tristan to stay? Did you, did you want, I did. I, I wanted, I wanted as many, like I wanted him to finish his career in Cleveland. Like I wish like, 
I want all those guys that won the championship to finish their career in Cleveland. It doesn't happen. I get it. But like, you know, it, it's just crazy that that was still, I mean, only four years ago, but like the, how quickly everything has turned over in this franchise so fast. It's just been, it's just been a bummer to me. I just wish I, I just wish the Cavs could have as a franchise or as an organization could have done a little bit more to hang on to some stability. And, you know, even if it did, like I look at like, you know, I compare it to like the Dallas Mavericks, you know, like the Mavericks never won another championship after they got theirs, but like they, and you know, they made some moves and they were never quite as good. And a lot of the moves they tried to make didn't really work out for Dirk, but like, you know, they still held on to that like identity and culture for a lot of years. And I think they're still respected as a franchise right now, even if they're not, uh, well, I mean, they're, they're certainly on the, on the rise again. I think, I think you'll see them, uh, be a lot better, but uh, like, whereas the Cavs just turned themselves into a complete non-factor in the NBA. I mean, they you couldn't be more irrelevant to the NBA than the Cleveland Cavaliers are right now, and that's and that's what's just frustrating to me. And so that's why, like, Trist, losing Tristan now to me, it just takes us another rung down the irrelevant uh, hole. And uh, so that's that's why, uh, from a pure like financial and basketball sense, did it make sense to keep him? Maybe not. Um, but I just think like Tristan Thompson is still a good basketball player and I'd just rather the Cavs have good basketball players. And so it's, it's just been tough. It's a, a lot of it. It's just been really demoralizing to me is, you know, some of that championship meant so much to me and, uh, this franchise has meant so much to me and to see them just wither away into a state that is really rough right now. It's just been hard to watch. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you know, it's like, can you imagine Tristan Thompson being a part of the next, the next relevant Cavaliers team? No, it's not um, going to happen. No, it's not going to happen. And, and ultimately that's, I, I kind of feel about it in a, in a way that's similar to Corey Kluber. You know, I think it's just time. I think it's just time. There was never going to be a happy ending. And so th- this is just fine. It's just fine. Yeah. Um, and, and also I, I'm not rooting against Tristan Thompson. I just don't think that, you know, a hustle player is a good bet, you know, too, too far down into his career. I I just don't, we saw how quickly Anderson Verjao fell off. We saw how, how Tristan himself fell off after being dragged to so many finals by LeBron. We've talked about this before too. Not everybody is built to handle the kind of beating that a LeBron led team, the, the schedule that it puts you through. And, and I think Tristan's career really took a hit for, for two or three years as, as he recovered or, or tried to recover from those deep, deep playoff runs. Yeah. We started to see injuries impact Tristan in a way they never did early in his career. You know, he was Mr. Resilient for so many years. Um, and, uh, and you're certainly right. Like, you know, as you saw those injuries creep in and nagging things just kept coming up and like, you'd get him back for a little bit and then he'd be hurt right away again. You know, and that was certainly frustrating. And so you're right. Like I'm, I'm just a sentimental guy with this stuff. Like I just, um, and like, so that, that's why for me, I'm able to sit here and say, well, you know, my job isn't on the line. I'm not the GM. So for me, sure. I'd love to have Tristan play out the rest of his career with the Cavs because 
for me, I viewed it as I don't expect the Cavs to win anytime soon anyways. I might as well enjoy getting to watch these guys that played a part on that championship for a few more years. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm the same way with Kevin Love. Like, I don't want the Cavs to trade him. Like, a lot of people want the Cavs to trade him. I, I let, Well, I shouldn't say, like, I don't want them to trade him. But, like, obviously, like, if that's what he wants, like, I kind of want to honor his honor his wishes. But just selfishly, like – I want to watch Kevin Love play basketball again. Like, I'm proud to have Kevin Love be a ambassador for this franchise, like especially the guy that he is off the court and um, all that. So, you know, I I'd love all these guys to be around as long as they want. Although it was funny to see him exasperated on the court at certain yeah. points last year, and and not it was really not some of his finer uh, moments last season. I I would say no, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's how it goes. It's how it yeah. goes. It's not. It's not the end of the world. Um, all right. So before we go, um, watch anything good lately? What are you? What are you keeping up with? What what non sports things do you have to recommend to people? If you want me to buy a few oh. minutes, I can talk about a couple of things first. Oh, okay. Well, I'll let you go first if you got something queued up. Yeah, well, I mean, la- it was funny. We last night um, we watched the finale of The Undoing, which is a mini series on HBO. It got a huge amount of talk, but it, it, I think, it got overrated by the pandemic. It was, uh, it was like doing an impression of a good show. It had Nicole Kidman, but they let her sing the opening song, and that was just like emblematic of the whole of the whole show. It was, it just felt like a, a trying to be something and it didn't quite hit but like it still was a good mystery had some good cliffhangers had some some who done it action where you really wanted to see what happened next even though the acting was kind of robotic and whatever a uh, little courtroom stuff to end the end the show and you know I'm going spoiler free but it was it was probably worth the ride even though it's like a a, a, a B or a C level show very nice I um so one thing like this isn't new obviously and i'm sure we've probably talked about this you know the um marvel uh cinematic universe uh i'm sure we've probably talked about it before on the podcast but uh i'm sort of watching it with new eyes as i've been listening to the binge mode um podcast go through uh their take on the mcu and it's really been fun to so like what i'll do is i'll listen to an episode on you know the movies they're going through in the order that they were released and then you know and then watch the movie after i will listen to the episode and catching a lot of the easter eggs that i wasn't aware of because they're much bigger uh, marvel fans than i am like they're you know they know like sort of the aspects of the comic comics and they talk about a lot of that in the in the podcast and so it's just been sort of fun to see it with a different set of eyes sort of um and so I would actually recommend, like, if people aren't familiar with binge mode, to check it out. It's uh, you. You will not find people more passionate about uh, the these the series that they do. Um, they they did uh, they've done Game of Thrones. They've done Star Wars, and um, uh, I think they did. I, I didn't listen. I think they did Harry Potter. Um, but now they they're did Harry doing, Potter. Yeah, and now they're doing uh, MCU, and it's you know. So that, that's been really fun. And so I'd recommend that. Um, otherwise, I've, if I'm not watching that lately, I've just been watching a lot of YouTube, strangely enough. Um, 
I've been watching a lot of live music on YouTube. Yeah, I've, I've done live music. I've done a um, uh, lot of like cooking stuff, health stuff, um, all the all that good stuff. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I've been lately. Like rather than watching shows lately, it's I find it easier because like I haven't been doing near as much like sort of like long binge sessions where I'm you know, just going to sit on the couch and watch a bunch of episodes in a row. So for me, YouTube has actually been really good because it's shorter intervals and I can get in and out of it a lot quicker. Um, well, not, which is, Andrew, hang on. We've got, uh, we're actually getting some questions from the audience. Oh, you, right you ready? Yeah. Oh, Who is your favorite X-Man from Dymaco? <laughs> um, my favorite X Man, Wolverine. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Storm, um, but it doesn't stop there. We have more questions. Ready? Yep. <laughs> Who is your Who favorite is your Jedi? Favorite Jedi. Um, I'll go first. I'll go first. I'm gonna go with Ray. Does she count? Absolutely, she counts, yes. and that's. That really sucks because I wish I would have thought to say her first because she probably <laughs> really is my favorite. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I gotta go Luke then. It's boring, but like, though, like we can get into a whole thing here. But like, I have I have some problems with the whole Jedi Council that. Um, I, See, I, I kind of figured not, them not my favorite. I was figuring it was gonna be Yoda. But. Yeah. Uh, Eh, not so much. All right, we got one more. All right. <laughs> Who's your favorite Cleveland-based parody NFL podcast? I mean, I don't listen to any. Are there any good ones? I don't think so. I'm not, doesn't really right. register with me. Anyway, where were we? Um, I I think I was just wrapping up my YouTube stuff, just saying that that was. That's kind of like the more digestible 10 minute YouTube videos that makes it easier. If I would then want to, you know, what do something else, I can jump into something else. So that, for whatever reason, that's just kind of where, where I've been lately. So I'm trying, I'm trying really hard to, to do the live music thing and scratch that itch. You know. um, it's a little bit hard, especially if I'm just kind of like by myself. So I've, I've been doing it, but I, I convinced, uh, I convinced my wife to watch, um, to watch one with me, but then I had to watch something that she likes. So we watched, and I got to admit, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I watched in an, a 45 minute Ed Sheeran concert with my wife. Mm. And it's not exactly my favorite kind of music, but that dude is a killer. He's yeah. amazing, amazingly talented. He, he played the entire thing, just him and a guitar with, uh, with loop pedals. And so he was he was singing harmonies with himself. He was playing yeah. guitar loops. It was really good singer. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal singer. I I really like his voice, especially when he can harmonize with himself three, four yeah, that's times. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Like it's like I'm in the same boat. Like it's not not my favorite kind of music. Like I'm not going to sit here and say I listen to his music a lot or no. anything like that. But certainly I can uh, respect the vocal talent for sure. So yeah, I, I guess that's. Uh, that's about it. Um, although we did have one more question. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, so I mean, it's, what's it's your favorite appetizer at Rodeo Palojas? 
It's the Tate skins. Does anybody go there and not get Tate skins? I mean, I do love pickle chips, but no, you're right. It's Tate skins. Yeah, it's, you get the, it's Tate skins all day, every day. All right. I think that's where we got to stop. We should wrap it up. I want to thank everybody for listening and watching and all this, uh, you know, the multimedia experience that has become the waiting for next year.com podcast soon to be part of the evergreen podcast network. Uh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 